At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? Well, if you don't know me, my name is Evan. I am the family pastor here, and I have the honor and privilege to wrap up our uh, church series. Uh, we are concluding the church series uh, today in the book of 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy 6. Verse uh, Timothy 6, verses 3 through 21. Uh, this is going to be a, a, it's a big passage. Um, I don't have the time, or and you don't want me to have the time to go through every single verse, because there's so much truth, there's so much um, good things in these verses. Um, so I encourage you to, to this afternoon, this week, to read through this passage um, but I'm going to give some overarching uh, principles from this section of Scripture. But as you turn there, I want you to take a second and think about your life. I want you to think about your life. Think, what would I believe, what would make me think that I have had a successful and fulfilled life? What is those things that you would say at the end uh, of your days what would you consider your life a success? Would you define it by the amount of experiences you had? Maybe how many vacations you got to go on? Maybe how many states you got to see, no matter how many countries you got to uh, look at? Or maybe you, you define success as you finally were able to climb the ladder in your job to where you are now in the senior management position? Would you define your success by how your child turned out? Would you define your success and how well your child was be able to grow and mature and become maybe a success in their life and then eventually they would be able to take care of you, right? That's, that's, a, that's a good uh, indicator of a successful life, right? Or maybe you would think that a successful life means that you have a healthy bank account and you have money in a savings account. Is it measured by the wealth you acquired, both in money and in possessions and in assets? See, there's, there's many different ways that, that people can determine what it means to be or have a successful and fulfilled life. But I think a better question, I think a better question that we should ask ourselves as we have been talking about the church, as we're talking about the people of God and what we're to be and who we are to, to be and how we are to change the world, I think the better question would be is how does God define what it means to finish well? What does God's word tell us what it means to have a full and complete life? 
And so we've been looking at this series, and we're looking at this letter that Paul writes to his uh, disciple, his, his protege, Timothy, as Timothy is leading a church in Ephesus, and we're seeing Paul's encouragement to Timothy of how the church should function, what the church should be like, how it should be seen. And in this last section, this last chapter, we see that Paul is going to give Timothy instruction and encouragement as to what it means to finish well. And what we're going to see this morning is that we're going to see that we will finish well when we focus our lives on pursuing Jesus Christ. We will finish well when we focus our lives on pursuing Jesus Christ. And so Paul encourages Timothy to lead the believers to this truth by looking at three specific ways. Three specific ways that we will see how we can walk in faithfulness. The first way that Christ, that we can, as Christ followers, that we can finish well is that we keep yourself from pride and foolish controversy. We need to keep ourselves from, from pride and foolish controversy. So let's start in verse 3. If anyone teaches different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And then down in, in verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from faith. Grace be with you. So here Paul is, again, Paul is continuing to impress upon Timothy the importance of, of sound doctrine. He's saying, listen, keep your truth. Keep the truth of the gospel. Keep sound doctrine because there are going to be people who are going to try to sway you from the truth. There are going to be ways that are going to come along and they're going to say that, that this is what it means to be godly or this is what it means to follow Jesus. or This is what it means to have a successful life. Where would this faulty doctrine come in? Where would this come into the church? These, these doctrines that, that are against the things of God. Well, there was two ways in Paul's day that these, these controversies, these, these um, false teachings would come in. First way is through insiders. We're insiders. So these would be people who would come into the church, who would be part of the church community, who would seek not for the godliness of the community, but would, but would preach, but would deliver messages, which would teach on things for their own gain, 
for their own prosperity, for their own acclamations. They would come in with false pretenses of of saying that this is for the church, this is for glory to God, but they were only seeking their own glory. And then oftentimes they would also uh, want to be a place where they would bring disunity. And this is where he says that those controversies, that they would bring up these things that would cause division. They would say things that would cause division and strife. So it would come from the outs, from the inside. They would seek popularity over truth. But then the second group of people were these philosophers called the sophists. And in that day, in the Greek culture, they loved philosophers. They loved people who could debate. They loved people who would give new knowledge. And so these sophists would, would basically come and they would bring this new knowledge to the culture. And as the church, as people in the church, they were also a part of culture. So they would hear these things. They would hear these things in the streets. They would hear these things in their communities. And then they would try to take that back and they would try to engage with that through the the community of the church. And so Paul here is saying that, that these men would seek to combat faulty man-centered thinking And so Paul is saying we need to combat that with the truth. We need to fight against those silly things, those things of uh, controversy, those things that are going to divide us, those things that don't really matter to the gospel. If someone desires to preach and teach ideas that do not match the words of Jesus— that run contrary to the word of God, then they have an unhealthy craving, as Paul says. They have an unhealthy craving to create controversy. They desire drama over godliness. And there's, there's this little benefit that an individual believer of the community of faith in controversy, in quarrels, in dissension, slander, in constant friction, that none of these build up the believer's faith. And none of this builds up that faith, and it doesn't build up the community of God. I think one of the biggest ways that we see this idea of stirring up controversy is through digital marketing. Through this, this concept of digital marketing, specifically when it comes to what was called clickbait. Has anyone heard of this term clickbait? Basically, clickbait is this, is that uh, they would write these articles, these truths. This, they would want the, the, the company or the organization or the author wants you to believe something true. That's, wants you to believe something that they think that you should believe is true. And to get you, they put a, a catchy eye-catching title in the, the thumbnail that you would then say, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to click that. And then comes and then comes to the article. 
of the, of the, the falsities that they're trying to convey. Some of these could be, you won't believe what happens after dot, dot, dot. Or you'll find yourself intrigued by those things, and so you'll, you'll go and you'll engage with this. But here's the thing. Clickbait is maybe a new thing, but the concept of it is so old. I remember the days when, when I would walk into the grocery store when I was a kid, and you know the, the rack that has all the candy and the, and the snacks, but then it has all the magazines, right? And there's always those magazines that say, alien abduction sighted. Read more. <laughs> or aliens were preparing to take over America. Or how Johnny Cash spent Christmas with Elvis. Right? We've seen those headlines. What's causing you is to be intrigued, to open them, to then see what is in the side is, is an impressionable, is, is something that is written to engage you and wanting to pull you in to believe that the truth that Elvis is still alive. So this was fostering this controversy. It was fostering this, this unbelief that, that they would see what was true of God's word, but then they would hear the falsities of the world, and they're like, well, this sounds good. Why wouldn't I want to be successful in my life? Why wouldn't I want to have a big bank account? Why wouldn't I want to have happy kids? Why wouldn't I want to have this? But when you dive deeper into it, it's from a place of taking the truth of God's word and changing it to form what they want to form. Because believers, we should be known by words of truth that is defined by Jesus and words of godliness. So whether you, whether you lead your family, whether you're a, a life group leader, whether you lead in our kids' ministry or our student ministry, or basically if you just simply are an influence in the lives of people, we need to make sure our faith is constantly being matched up to the truth that comes from our mouth. Rather than spending time discussing the latest political movements or, or the latest conspiracy theories, ours as God's people should focus on the truth of the gospel because the truth of the gospel is the only thing that will provide hope and joy in this world. It's why... In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church that Timothy is pastoring over, and he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only for such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So think about the things that you say. Think about the truths that you tell others. Ask yourself these questions. Evaluate this and say, is what I say believable and trustworthy? Who does my speech emphasize? Myself or Jesus? Does what I say encourage Christ-centered godly living? 
Are others encouraged by what I teach and what I say? So we need to avoid the controversies. We need to avoid the pride and speak the truth of God's word. That's what it means to live a fulfilled life. So having seen how focusing on Christ and guiding us should guide our words and our actions, we must now consider the second way that we fall into the trap of popularity over gospel truth. And what believers and how the second way that believers walk in faithfulness. The second way is that we avoid the snare of discontentment and wealth. We avoid the snare of discontentment and wealth. Starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For he brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And then in verse 17, it says this, For as the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who, riches, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to, they are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. So we see that Paul is, continues to guide Timothy of, of the ways of godly living so that he can lead his people well, that he can t- teach this to this, the people of his church. And he writes about that powerful tug of money and the powerful tugging of the human heart. And here's the thing. This verse gets so misquoted. It doesn't say that money is evil. It says the love of money. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Has money become the object of your worship? Has it captured your heart? Where do your affections lie? And he says that that contentment, the contentment is great gain, not money. The contentment, meaning to be happy with what God has given you. And this isn't about whether you have lots of money or whether you have little money. Whether you have lots of property or you have no property at all. Contentment doesn't have limits. Contentment is truly understanding and having the heart to say, what God has given me, I am thankful for and I see it as a blessing. And if any of this is taken away, I will be okay because I have what's most important, and that is Jesus. That is contentment. Contentment is is understanding that the sovereign God has provided for you, and it should be a mark of a true believer. But oftentimes, when we, when we have 
a lack of contentment, it actually comes from a heart of pride. Pridefully, we believe that we deserve more financial stability or financial resources. Pridefully, we push aside God and say, God, I, I, I believe, I think I believe that, I, that you will provide for me, but I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to do what it takes to get what I want. In, in our pride, we practically believe that God owes us. And that reveals in a heart that, has, that money is really an idol. Money isn't the problem. It's the love of money that causes men to wander. Obviously, we, we don't take anything with us. And that's what he says in this passage, that you don't go away. You don't leave this earth with all the things that you required, acquired throughout the day. You don't get to take anything with you. Yet yearning for worldly possessions and stuff is a constant temptation. Just take a look at all the ads you get on Facebook for all the things that will make your life better. Or maybe even uh, when you scroll through Amazon and see the daily deals, you may not need that product, but hey, you can't pass up a good deal. And what's better than getting two days it shipped to your house in two days, right? It's that constant thing of like, this is what's going to make my life better. This object, this thing, this, this thing in my life is going to make it all the better. One of the ways that we can guard against this, one of the ways that we can guard against this, this unhealthy view of money and possessions is that we seek contentment. We evaluate our life. Take a look at your calendar. Take a look at, at your family calendar or your calendar. Take a look at your, your, your uh, bank statements. What is it that you're spending most of your time and energy on, and what are you spending the most money on? That is really what's going to truly tell you what you are idling, what you see as important. Where do you spend the bulk of your time? Obviously, your job is probably going to spend the most of your time, and I'm saying that that's not a bad thing. But what happens when you get off the clock? What happens, where do you spend your time on Saturday? Where do you spend your time on Sunday? Where do you spend your time on the evenings? Are you constantly consumed with trying to get more and more overtime? Or pursue more and more ways of getting stuff? Where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your stuff? And it doesn't have eternal significance. So we see that we are to keep ourselves from controversy and pride, and we need to avoid wealth and discontentment. But the heart of this passage, the heart of this passage is what believers, how believers can walk in faithfulness comes in verses 11 through 16, that we pursue the light, to pursue the life and light of the Lord Jesus. Verse 11, But as far as you, O man of God, flee these things, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God that who gives, 
life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is his testimony, before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So we see here, it's the pursuit of Jesus Christ that gives us a fulfilled life. He calls Timothy the man, a man of God. And this is a high calling. Paul is giving Timothy a very high calling because there are only a handful of times in Scripture where we see the words man of God. And it's only to Moses, God's messenger to Eli, and to Samuel himself. He uses the idea of man of God to basically to mean that you live as God's man and to lead believers in Ephesus. He's telling you that this is what your calling is. And to do so, you, you need to make a distinct contrast between the false teachers of that day and yourself. They may be pursuing wealth. They may be pursuing prestige. They may be pursuing popularity. But what you need to pursue is righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. He's telling Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, which means that he has to fight for the truth. In verses 13 and 14, he gives the example of Jesus, of how Jesus interacts with Pilate and how we are to offer a good and strong defense and public confession, even in the face of opposition. And lastly, in the last couple of verses, we see that he's charging Timothy to understand that no matter what, at the end of the day, we live to see Jesus come back. And so Paul wants Timothy to take hold of the eternal reality of the faith. He wants him to finish the race. He wants to run with the race in mind. He wants to run with the finish line in mind. For it is the hope of, of eternal glory with God that we are to spur on. In June of 2012... I was turning 25 years old. You could do the math <laughs> if you want. In, 25, I was, in 2012, I was going to turn 25. And, and I, I believe that that birthday was a, was a big milestone. Um, I was living in Kentucky at the time. Um, I was an adult. I had a job. I was, I was in school um, pursuing ministry. And, and that day, I was like, you know what? I want to do something big. I want to celebrate in a big way. I want to accomplish a goal. So I decided that I was going to run a 5K. Now, and I'm not a runner. Um, I will run unless someone is chasing me. I will run. But I was like, I want to run this race. I want to do something that I want to test myself. I want to be able to accomplish something that I maybe never thought I could do. 
So I started training in January. I started um, going and trying to build endurance in my legs and being able to do this 5K. But I just didn't want to do any 5K because I wanted to celebrate. You know, it was my birthday. So there was a race that was happening in downtown Louisville um, uh, two days, actually, after my birthday. And to make it big, it was what's called the color run. Maybe some of you have heard of this. It's, it's basically a 5K where at intervals throughout the race, they throw color powder at you. And so I got up, I got in all my all-white attire because that's what better way to do a color run without, you know, being all white and seeing how you uh, come out of the race. So I'm racing, I get my playlist together, I, I start the race, I, I start to go, I'm feeling good, but then I start to really feel it. I get to really feel the race. And there are moments along the path after getting hit in the face with blue powder and then green powder and purple powder where it was fun. But there was times where I was like, I don't want to do this. I need to, I need to stop. I can't do this. I can just veer off the way, get in my car. My car's just over there. I can just go and leave. There were moments of that. There were challenges along the way. There were challenges when my shins started to hurt. There were challenges when my feet were hurting. But what I kept in my mind was that there was a finish line. There was an end. And it wasn't just a physical, uh, a physical finish line that I wanted to pursue, but it was really the finish line of me accomplishing something that I set my heart and my mind to. I wanted to complete it for myself. So I endured all the challenges of the race to then be able to say that I finished. And so I did. And just like in this race, challenges will come along your path. The temptation to give up will, will be overwhelming. And, and to overcome the outside voices telling you to give up. Yet the finish line is the ultimate goal. Do you get discouraged by the challenges and discouragements that come against you on the journey of faith? Maybe it's a, a serious medical diagnosis. Maybe it's a loss of a career job. Maybe it's difficulty in your marriage or difficulty in family relationships. These things may slow our progress, but they should never deter our progress. And it's because it is in Jesus that we can finish the race. So as we wrap today, as we, we think about this, I want to read a passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set up before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. So what is it that you are pursuing in your life? What is it that you see it means to have a successful and full life? The only thing that answers that question is to pursue Jesus Christ. We finish well because we focus our lives on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your words. Thank you for your encouragement that you speak through Paul to Timothy. God, it is a reminder that there are times in our lives where we can get so distracted by the things of this world, that we can get so distracted by our own pursuits, that we can forget that the true source of our hope, the true source of our joy, the true source of a fulfilled um, and a life finished well is a pursuit of you and you alone. And my prayer is that each one of us can come to that realization this morning that it's only through you that we have hope. God, thank you for reminding us today of how much you love us and how much you are worthy of everything that we have and everything that we are. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.